Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. I'm Sina Bazilahickey. Today in the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with excerpts from the Albany Common Council vote on a resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, edited by Moses Nagel. Then Mark Dunley speaks with the Alliance for a Hunger-Free New York about marching to the New York State Capitol on Wednesday, January 10th. Later on, Marsha Lazarus brings us a story on ultra-marathon runner Pilar author Sneed about cultivating positivity. After that, we hear Andrea Cunliffe's coverage of Troy Art Block, which was just named the number one best new festival by USA Today. Finally, we have uh, Taina Asili's interview with musician, composer, and singer Toshi Reagan. But first, here are the headlines. The Albany Common Council on a 10-2 vote has approved the resolution in support of a ceasefire in Gaza. Our first story will have excerpts from this debate. Two a- Two state agencies said that they will meet Petersburg residents on Thursday, January 18th, to discuss the ongoing investigation at the state Superfund site for PFAS, contamination in local drinking water supplies from the Taconic Plastics site. A DEC consent order was entered into into with Taconic for the cleanup work and providing safe drinking water to residents whose water was uh, contaminated for protecting the town of Petersburg drinking water supplies. The Times Union reports that the 27 colorful, eclectic murals painted during the Troy Art Block in Church Street Alleyway in Troy won Best New Festival in U.S. Today's 10 Best Readers' Choice Awards. Stay tuned for some stories on that. And the Times Union reports that the good cause eviction law will be a key part in the negotiations between the governor and state lawmakers over how to respond to the affordable housing crisis statewide. The Albany law to provide increased tenant protections was struck down by the lower courts, which ruled that such changes had to be approved by the state legislature. The final ruling on the legality of the Albany law will be made this year by the state's highest court, which may prompt lawmakers to delay action until after the ruling. In addition to the housing issues, the migrant crisis is expected to be a major focus at the Capitol. As part of their long-running fight against the Shepherds Run solar farm proposal in Columbia County, opponents have recently bought 60 acres of the land that was supposed to be used for an 880-acre project. The opponents hope by downsizing the amount of land, the state will rule that the project no longer complies with its approved contract for funding. Governor Hochul is proposing several initiatives to address maternal and infant death in New York, including making the state the first to provide paid leave for parental prenatal care. Statewide black women are over four times more likely to die from childbirth-related complications, and in New York City, that number rises to nine times more likely. And that's it for the headlines. On Thursday, January 4th, the Albany Common Council introduced a resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. The resolution, co-sponsored by council members Sergio Adams and Gabriela Romero, has been in the works for weeks, but was blocked from introduction at past meetings. Here are some excerpts from the debate over the resolution, beginning with the secretary reading the resolution and comments from the co-sponsors. A resolution of the City of Albany Common Council calling for a permanent end to violence in Gaza, immediate provisions of sufficient humanitarian aid for Gaza, and sustainable peace and and unity. Mr. Adams for 
Okay. Discussion. Discussion on this resolution. Thank you, Mr. President. First, we'd just like to thank the tremendous support from everyone that turned out here this evening. Um, this has been a two-month-long battle of getting here today to ask for a ceasefire um, by our council. And the hard work and dedication and just the outpour of the Muslim Palestinian community here um, in our city um, says a lot. And the experiences, the feelings, the sentiments that we've heard over the last few meetings hopefully has not only resonated with myself, but hopefully has resonated and opened your ears to understanding uh, what this group of people are going through at this moment. And I would like for our colleagues this evening to vote on this resolution and support to show this community that we do stand and support with them, that we do hear what they're saying. We want all our residents to know that when they come into these chambers, that their voices are being heard, and it's not only being heard, but the work is being done. So, uh, Mr. Thank you, Mr. President. There have been modifications to this document, and I want to make sure that they're read publicly so that the public can be aware of um, the document that we are voting on today. Whereas the ongoing war in Gaza has resulted in immense human suffering and loss of life. Whereas the city of Albany is committed to promoting peace, unity, and respect for all its residents. And whereas we recognize and stand in solidarity with our Muslim and Jewish communities, reaffirming our commitment to their safety, security, and well-being. And whereas we share dire concerns with the war in Gaza, in which over 20,000 Palestinians have been killed. And as of December 22, 2023, with the exact amount unknown due to the inability to count the dead as the health system collapses, with another 50,000 injured and several thousands more reported missing and presumed to be dead under the rubble. And whereas we are deeply sympathetic to the two million Palestinian civilians who have now been displaced and for the scores of Israeli lives that have been impacted. And whereas the people of Gaza face further devastation from the lack of food, water, sanitation, and other basic necessities, with over half a million Gazans reported starving by the United Nations. And whereas we acknowledge Resolution 106-102-23R from October 16th, which condemns the attacks on Israel that took place on October 7th. And whereas we acknowledge the urgency of the situation and the imperative need for immediate action. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Common Council of Albany, New York, calls for an immediate and permanent ceasefire, an end to the hostilities in the region, which are causing a horrific loss of Palestinian and Israeli life. And two, we urge for the immediate provisioning of humanitarian aid commensurate with the multiple levels of socioeconomic collapse in Gaza. And three, we urge leaders to prioritize the safety and well-being of all hostages and detainees, recognizing their right to freedom and immediate and unconditional release. And four, we extend our support to diplomatic efforts and initiatives aimed at facilitating a peaceful resolution to the conflict, emphasizing the importance of all parties abiding by established international humanitarian law. And five, we express our unwavering commitment to fostering peace and unity within the city of Albany and representing the voices and concerns of all of its citizens. And six, we stand in solidarity with our Muslim and Jewish communities, affirming our commitment to their safety, security, and inclusion within the fabric of our city. And lastly, seven, we express our sincere hope that the current conflict will be resolved swiftly and peacefully, leading to a just and lasting peace. I'm extremely proud to be an original co-sponsor of this legislation. 
I think it's extremely important that we're passing this, and I want the city of Albany to know that this document is a ceasefire document, that this document is supporting peace, and that this document is trying to end the war and end the violence. Ceasefire. <laughs> Please, please quieten them. Further discussion? Mr. Zamer. Thank you, Mr. President. Like all my colleagues, I'm absolutely devastated by the horrors befalling so many innocent Palestinians in Gaza. I can also confidently say that the entire Jewish community, as well as all faith groups in Albany, are equally as devastated by the loss of innocent Muslim lives. I represent a large Jewish community here, many who have family and friends in Israel, even some who know hostages currently being held in Gaza. Countless numbers of them have written us emails, and 500 people signed a petition asking us not to pass this resolution, not because they support in any way the horrors befalling the Palestinian people, but because Israel was brutally attacked by the terrorist group Hamas because they, like I, believe unequivocally that Israel has a right to exist, needs to exist for the Jewish people, and has a right to defend itself. Because I feel, because I feel this resolution is motivated by an underlying belief that Israel does not have a right to exist, and even a hatred of Israel, I cannot support. Mr. Ballerin and then Mr. Johnson. Mr. Ballerin. This is a very sensitive and very personal issue to many people. So I'm gonna ask that we please remember that everyone in this room in their own way has had their own pain in their lives. I wanna make some things that also clear. I think you can condemn Hamas and still support a ceasefire. I think that this vote doesn't make you anti-Jewish or anti-Muslim. I don't think that is fair to put on anybody. For me, seeing what's going on in this conflict took me to a dark place last week. I had avoided watching the videos. I had avoided reading many of these articles. I had avoided hearing many of these stories. And seeing that really took me to a place where it shamed me as a human being that we are still doing this to each other in 2024. But with all of this knowledge, all of this technology, all of these opportunities for intercollectiveness, we're still doing this to ourselves. I support this resolution because when I think of the number of people that have lost their lives in this conflict in the last three months, too many children's blood, innocence, and families have been taken away. Too many. When this conversation first started in this chamber, 
I, I wasn't as educated as I am today about the issue. And I'm not as educated as some of the people that I had a chance to listen to. But I had many conversations with many people. I was talking to a teacher friend, and he said, Mr. Johnson, what's going on today, we won't know the full effect of it because these kids are gonna grow up. And I'm an educator. When I walk in Giffen Memorial Elementary School, I see kids from all over. And I just um, think about some of the travesties that I'm, I'm hearing about. And so please accept our apology that we didn't communicate with you in October like we communicated with this um, resolution. It wasn't a slight, it just happened so fast. And so I will be supporting this tonight. Can the clerk please call the roll? Adams. Yes. Anani. Yes. Ballerin. Yes. Farrow. Yes. Flynn. No. Frederick. Yes. Hoey. Johnson. Yes. Keegan. Yes. Kimbrough. Yes. Love. Here. Robinson. Yes. Romero. Yes. Zamer. No. Tenant in the affirmative. Oh, resolution passes. Thank you. Moses Nagel edited those excerpts from the Albany Common Council resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Next, the Alliance for a Hunger-Free New York will march to the New York State Capitol on Wednesday, January 10th to call for a call for the state to support nutrition security and frontline community food providers. 2.2 million New Yorkers are considered food insecure, food insecure, including more than one in seven children. Mark Dunley reports. We're joined by Natasha Pernica, who is the executive director of the Alliance for a Hunger-Free New York. And on Wednesday, January 10th, they are holding what they're calling the People's uh, State of the State to particularly draw attention to need for um, more funding for uh, nutrition programs uh, in, in New York. Um, so we're going to have Natasha sort of run through um, the day and how people can participate. But uh, Natasha, why don't you just start off? Uh, what what is the Alliance for Hunger Free New York, and what are some of your you know main main issues? Sure. Thanks for having me, Mark. The Alliance for Hunger Free New York uh, is a membership organization of food pantries and other frontline emergency food providers across New York State. And food pantries have really seen an increase in services significantly post-COVID. So the People's State of the State is a chance for us to call attention uh, for the governor uh, so that we make sure that they're funding and programs are supported at a state level to make sure people have food. Now, looking at your um, news advisory for the event, one of the things you point out is that food insecurity, which many of us would call hunger, is growing faster in New York State than it is um, nationwide. You know, what are, what are some of the, you know, increased um, need that you're seeing out there? 
Sure, I appreciate that. I think people don't recognize that hunger is still a huge crisis uh, in our community. And one of the most eye-opening statistics that we saw this year was from the U.S. Census Bureau Household Pulse Survey. When they interviewed folks from across the country comparing July 2021, while we were still kind of in COVID, to July 2023, the question asked, do you have enough to eat in a one-week period? And here in New York State, the number of people who said, no, I do not have enough to eat in a one-week period, increased 87% uh, from 2021 to 2023, compared to only 35% more nationwide. So we know that food insecurity is significantly impacting New Yorkers across the state. Now, you know, there were a lot of programs, um, federal institution programs in particular, but I think was at the state level, where there was an, you know, increased level of funding for anti-hunger efforts uh, during COVID, which, even though it actually still continues, it's no longer considered as sort of the public emergency crisis. Has, has, has that been a, a, a factor in New York in terms of, you know, some loss of funding uh, now that COVID is sort of a little bit in the rearview mirror? Yeah, one of the things a lot of people don't realize is that the food pantry system, the charitable food system, is largely um, philanthropy or individual private donation funded. It's not significantly funded by government. And since inflation has really hit hard, uh, philanthropy is down across the country. And so that does impact the ability for nonprofits to continue operating at higher record levels um, when funding resources are down. The other thing that really impacts that, even with state funding, um, the state has a couple of really wonderful programs through Department of Health that fund food pantries and food banks. But last year in fiscal year 2024, the funding remained flat for HIPNAP, which is the Hunger Prevention Nutrition Assistance Program. And while you know, you might celebrate that it's flat funded, that we didn't get cut. With food inflation prices, it actually represents an $8 million net loss. Um, some of the common staple items uh, like cereal and bakery products, inflation rates are up 12%. Uh, canned and, and frozen fruits and vegetables are up 10%. So the dollars are just not going as far um, as they were before. Can you give us a sense of, you know, who are, you know, the guests at emergency food programs? Um, how many, you know, people are you, you feed into the network statewide? And, uh, you know, what are some of the reasons that are pushing people to come and use emergency food programs? Sure. We know that there's more than 2 million New Yorkers that are considered food insecure. And with recent Department of Health survey results, they're now showing that one in four adults in New York State are struggling with food insecurity. You know, food pantries have been around for, for many, many years. And for some people, it's a temporary emergency. But for many people, they don't have the resources on a regular basis. And so food pantries end up becoming a supplemental food system. 
Um, you have older adults who are living on extremely limited incomes turning to food pantries for the first time. In fact, when the SNAP emergency allotments ended earlier this year, we had an older adult turn to one of the food pantries in our coalition and, and said, I'm now getting $28 a month in SNAP. What am I supposed to do with that? That's what food pantries are here for. We've heard from families. We, we've heard from families where even both parents are working. They're just not making living wages anymore with the way inflation and food and other areas are impacted. Um, there are a lot of children whose parents get food from food pantries as well as single adults. We know that there aren't always the same kind of supports for individual adults who are struggling with disabilities or other conditions that makes it difficult for them to work or they're just not making living wages at this point. So um, food pantries really do help just regular people uh, across the state. And when we talk about it being a statewide issue, I have some quotes from some of our members that kind of illustrate what they're dealing with right now. Um, for example, down in New York City, Chef Greg Silverman from the Westside Campaign Against Hunger recently stated that they have seen a 46% increase in service since the peak of the pandemic. Here in Albany, or in the Capital District, Megan Quillinan from the Mechanicville Area Community Center said that they are seeing as many families in a week as they previously saw in a month, uh, recognizing that existing funding cannot keep the food on the shelves. Uh, another uh, food pantry that we work with is Chow down in the Southern Tier in Broome County. Um, it's a large food rescue and distribution organization is also reporting seeing a 40% increase from last year. Um, and that organization is trying to work them to meet the need of over 110 food pantries and other agencies. They're having to travel more and far and more often in order to get the food uh, to the pantries. So transportation costs are up and food costs are up for pantries as well. So we have about two minutes left. Now, on Wednesday, January 10th, um, I guess the media event is at 11 a.m. on the Million Dollar Staircase, third floor of the state capitol. But I understand that you're meeting earlier at a, at a nearby church, and they're going to march together. If people want to come and say you may be making some signs. So maybe just w walk through the day quickly, and then also, you know, what are you hoping that Governor uh, Hochul, you know, releases on our budget, which is coming out, I believe, January 16th? Wonderful. Thank you. So, yes, we're meeting at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Albany. We'll be making our signs to fund hunger relief programs, marching over to the Capitol at 11 for a press event. Uh, and then we will be heading back to Westminster Presbyterian Church um, for some conversations about how do we move this forward. We are asking Governor Hochul to fund hunger prevention nutrition assistance program at 75 million, as well as funding Nourish New York at 75 million. And it's critical that, that these funding sources are made available to all types of emergency food relief programs from food banks, food pantries, community meal programs, and more um, so that we can have direct impact and be able to provide culturally appropriate and healthy food uh, to the people who are not making ends meet right now. You mentioned Nourish New York. Can you briefly explain what Nourish New York is? 
Sure. Nourish New York was a really wonderful program that was launched quickly in 2020 as a response to the pandemic to help the New York State agriculture producers uh, and the charitable feeding system. So the funding helps food pantries and food banks purchase food like fresh fruits and produce and dairy, uh, meats and seafood from New York State producers. So it helps the New York economy and you're getting healthy quality food to people who need it most. Well, thank you very much. We've been talking to uh, Natasha Pernicka, Executive Director of the Alliance for a Hunger-Free New York. And this has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you, Mark. That march is on Wednesday, January 10th. For those of you just tuning in, I'm Sina Bazilahiki, and you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. And next, ultramarathon runner and run coach Pilar Arthur Sneed has infectious positive energy, but she had to work hard to cultivate it. Marsha Lazarus interviewed Pilar about her practice and goals. This is part two. I want to offer people a place where I really am giving, you know, my heart to them in some way, my spirit, my joy, because maybe they need it on that day. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm sitting with ultra marathon runner and run coach Pilar Arthur Sneed. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation after all these years. You know, I've always thought of you, Pilar, as a, as a very upbeat person, very mm. positive energy. I remember, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, whenever it was, when we were both at in Toastmasters. And I, I remember you giving feedback to each of us and, you know, you're always very positive, but even when you gave feedback about areas, you know, we needed to improve, you still left feeling like, Hey, I did a good job. So you, <laughs> you, you have that positive energy and I'm just curious, is that something do you, in looking back that you feel was always there or did you have to work hard to cultivate that, that type of, <laughs> positivity? That's a, great, that's a great question. I think that, you know, um, probably that something that we all know about comedians is that comedians, although they're very funny, they have typically lived a very difficult life and their life experiences have been very difficult and challenging. And the way that they were able to cope with whatever their challenges were, were through humor and being sort of like the class you know, the class clown. And I would say the same of myself. I suffered from crippling depression until I was probably about 25. And this sort of like awakening through running was sort of like beginning to unravel my um, upbringing and the impact that my upbringing had on me. What my parents told me on the one hand, although they were trying to prepare me for the hardships of the world, on the other hand, I probably speak positively and encourage other people because that's not necessarily what I received as a young person. And it's just sort of like my way to cope. 
and then having been in a place where a very dark place where for many years I really did not want to live. I don't want to be in that place. And so I live to to be alive, really, right? Like I want to experience life and I want to experience all the positivity and I want to, that's where the positivity comes from having gone through, gone to hell and back again, and then seeing like the other side and making a very conscious, conscious choice. I know what it's like to be in it, to be in a bad place. I know exactly what that's like, and I don't want to be there. And interestingly, I saw on your LinkedIn profile, I was poking around there. Pilar. <laughs> that's okay. That's doing your job. <laughs> You're your message, I love this. Your message uh, reads, run for your body, mind, and spirit. Absolutely. And I, I really do believe that running, it is a healing journey. It can be a healing journey um, because you're, you, you are using your body. And there are many moments when you're running alone. And I think particularly in, in ultra running, you're running for hours and hours by yourself <laughs> so a lot of things come up when you when you're doing that you know that you're like oh my gosh and then you kind of work through all those things somatically you've also set a lot of challenging goals for yourself in 2017 you completed your first marathon in 2021 your first ultra marathon 100k or 62 and a half mile race the following year in 2022 you completed your fifth ultra marathon and then in 2018 you became a certified road runners club of america coach doesn't that role take away from your training time you know as you're seeking to you know excel in running and compete you set aside time to encourage others. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it really takes away from what I'm doing because the tasks of being a coach can be managed in such a way so that you're not, you know, doing so many things that you're you're burning yourself out on on that end. On the flip side, I would definitely say that of all the things that I've ever, you know, done, when I hear somebody say, hey, coach, that just makes my shoulders go back and I feel very um, fulfilled in, in that because that means to me, and it, I feel like the the honorific of coach is something that I generally earn because at the start, when I'm working with someone, people are calling me Pilar. They're like, oh, hey, Pilar. You know, thanks so much, Pilar. By the time that they're done, they're like, coach. So that tells me that I'm doing my job. So it doesn't take away. It, it fills me up and it motivates me to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and the reality of the situation is, is that I, I, I'm not winning any races. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not compete. I'm not competing for, you know, for cash or prizes or anything of that nature. I'm just going out there and I'm doing the same thing that my athletes are doing. I'm putting my feet on the pavement and I'm just trying to get to the finish line. And that right there is, is, is quote, is good enough. 
And it and that to me is what it's all about, really. It's showing them that I start in the same place that you do. I start at the starting line and I gotta go the same amount of distance that you do. I was also intrigued, Elar, that when you said you believe that fitness is for every body type, no matter your size, shape, gender, your current ability, or even your physical limitations. Yeah, I mean, I think again, it really all goes back to, you know, showing up to different places and being the only woman of color, uh, being a, you know, being a person, I, you know, I don't know, you know, how other people view my body, but my, I view my body as being a bigger, you know, a bigger size body and not necessarily the kind of body that people would look at and go, oh, that person is a runner. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And so you're kind of showing up and you're not, what people would idealize as the typical person who's going out there and doing all these things. So again, if, if I can go and do these things, then I believe that another person can go and do these things. And it doesn't matter how big or small you are. It doesn't matter your, what your limbs are. It, you know, like it, it's, it's doable. If you have the desire to do it, then you can figure out some way to accomplish, you know, to accomplish the goal that you have. Um, and if that's running, then you can, you know, you can figure out how to how to get it done. It's about being clear on your vision, it sounds. And, yeah. And not, and not allowing others to define us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I tell, you know, that I tell runners all the time, and I've told myself quite a bit this year being on the, you know, not running list is that, you know, you have a goal and you say, okay, this is the goal that I want to get to. You're more than likely going to experience a lot of hurdles and challenges, mental and physical along the way. Don't change the goal. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like if the goal is what you, if that's what you really want, then you might need to make changes to how you get there. You might have to take a few detours along the way, but the goal is still the goal. You just need to figure out how am I going to make this work considering the the situation that I'm presently in? How can I accomplish it given what I've got? And I also understand that it was less than 10 years ago in 2015 when you completed your first 5K race. And that before 2015, you had never done any type of cardiovascular exercise. So we recently ushered in the new year. Can you give us some tips on those New Year's resolutions? It's the little things that will get you to the big thing. And you have to stay committed to the little things to get to the big thing. Because I I actually had a streak of running for 733 days straight. I ran one mile every day for 733 days, sometimes more, sometimes less. What I would tell myself in the days when I didn't want to run was I would say, okay, you got to get this mile done. So give yourself 10 minutes, 10 minutes. You can go to Walmart and spend $150 in 10 minutes. So 10 minutes to just go and get started. And if after 10 minutes you say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, fine, be done after 10 minutes. But what will happen 
after 10 minutes is you'll go, oh, I feel good. All right, I'm going to keep going. And you might get to a mile and a half. Everybody's got at least 10 minutes to accomplish a big goal. So we've been talking with ultra marathon runner and run coach, Pilar Arthur Sneed. This is Marsha Lazarus from Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you so much, Marsha. <laughs> you can hear part one of Marsha Lazarus's interview uh, at mediasanctuary.org. And next, the Art Center of the Capital Region's Troy Art Block was named the number one best new festival in USA Today's 10 Best Readers' Choice Award contest. So to celebrate this achievement, we replay this story from Andrea Cunliffe. Church Street Alley between 3rd and 4th in South Troy has become a gallery of murals. I'm Andrea Cunliffe from the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, speaking with the artists as they create their work. What are you guys doing here? Oh, what's your name? My name is Andrea. I'm with the Sanctuary for Independent Media, and we are, uh, we also have a radio station, Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and I'm down here on this, this alley because there's all the artists are here, and you're here with cameras and microphones and everything else, right? Yep. Yeah. Who are you? So I'm Jamel Mosley. I'm the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Collective Effort. I'm Pat Harris. I'm the President of Collective Effort. Okay, guys, what's Collective Effort? Uh, Collective Effort, we're a creative agency uh, based right here in downtown Troy. We're also uh, old students of Branda, and so we stayed around Troy and fell in love with the city, found a way to, you know, do some storytelling of our own, so... And you're here documenting the uh, artwork that's being created in the alley in Troy. Yeah. Yeah. We love the art center, we love public art, and we love artists, you know. A a lot of what we do is helping artists find space and uh, start to build their careers, you know, in ways in which we may have needed the help when we were coming up. So we're just really appreciative for, for spaces like this for artistic freedom. So you're going to complete this documentary where what will you do with it after you complete it? We're going to chop it up, make everybody look really beautiful, and then <laughs> we're going to send it back to the art center and let them do whatever they want. Oh, well done. Thanks for Hi, can I talk to you? What's your name? My name's Andrea, and nice yours? You. I'm Lo. Lo Pador Luce. Oh my gosh, what a great name. Thank you. You're an artist, I can tell. <laughs> I just moved back to the area. I'm from, I just moved back from Denver. From Denver? Mm-hmm. Are you from Troy or? From upstate New York. I'm actually a military kid, so I grew up different places. So I was born out of the country, but cool. um, I grew up north of Syracuse, um, Watertown, Fort Drum. You have selected a huge canvas here, which mm-hmm. is actually a garage door. Yeah, this actually is my first mural. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. What mm-hmm. are you going to do? I'm creating a piece. It's going to be dedicated to a lot of things that's going on in my life. Um, a piece about transition and healing and growth and, yeah, and grief. But a little bit on the brighter side of it. When we come by and see it when it's completed, which is going to be this week, mm-hmm. right? This Saturday. Then how would we know it's yours? Are you going to, have, are you going to sign it? Yeah, I'm going to sign it. Um, with I have a lot of names, so it'll be under Lobador Luce. And I have a, also a, a street art name, which I'll put down there, and I'll probably title it too. What's your street art name? Lowy. 
Wonderful. <laughs> so this is bright purple. Mm-hmm. It'll be pink, and then there's, there is going to be a purple. The two purples are about to get put in right now, actually. I'm going to come back and take a look. Yes, definitely. Thanks for your time. And I want to know what you're doing here. This is an amazing... This is huge. You're not only doing the garage door, you're doing the whole building. Yeah, I'm going to paint the whole damn thing. Uh, Yes, with spray paint, you can paint virtually anything over any surface. Um, Yeah, I'm painting a big great horned owl. Yeah, my name is Justin Suarez. I am originally from the Capital Region, but I reside in Rochester, New York. I applied for this project along with everybody else who's here. And yeah... Uh, this is my first time painting in the capital region in about 17 years. Wow. Um, yeah, 17 years ago, I painted uh, the side of the Spectrum 8 Theater downtown in Albany when I was a youngster. Um, and that set me on a path to do this for the rest of my life. Is there a purpose, an issue, a, a statement you're making with this painting? Yeah, a lot of the work that I do revolves around wildlife, in particular birds of prey back home in rochester when i'm not painting murals i volunteer as an animal handler at a sanctuary for permanently injured non-releasable birds of prey called wild wings incorporated um yeah we have a facility that's free and open to the public and yeah our purpose is to educate the public and encourage them to uh conserve our environment for these species so painting the the birds that i work with has become a really uh a thing i'm really passionate about well it's a super painting it's not finished but i can see the bird that's for sure it is a great horned owl they are native to our area here and the last thing that i always do with my murals is to add white highlights so once you see a bunch of white go into the areas that are light but not white yet um that's how you know that i'm reaching completion fantastic thank you so much it's been a pleasure talking with you see you later thank you i'll see you soon yeah nice meeting you oh my gosh everyone's going home no 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 there's another there's a whole nother group coming in are they oh yeah tell me how are you connected with this exciting really exciting event how did you get involved so this program is run by the art center of the capital region it's a project through them judy gilmore she is the community representative for the art center of the capital region and she had called me and asked me if i would come and be a contractor on the project I used to work at the Art Center of the Capital Region. I was a curator of exhibitions and public art. What's your name? Belinda Cologne. Hi. Fun is this? Oh, this is wonderful. I am so excited to work with all of these artists. We have 29 artists coming from all over the country. We have nine artists that are out of the region and 20 artists within the region. Well, that's good. It really is. It was a call for art. It was a fair platform for everybody to apply for it and I think there were over 200 submissions. That's a toughie to have to decide. Exactly. There was a committee that actually decided everything and Judy was part of that committee. Why has it been decided to do this particular project? Within this alley and within other alleys in Troy we want to make it more pedestrian friendly. A lot of people use these alleys so we want to make sure that the disinvested areas of Troy these these alleys 
are used quite often. And so we want to make sure that the neighborhood and everyone who works around and lives around these alleys feels safe in them. This project was a little bit smaller and uh, there was a conversation with the city of Troy and they had asked if it could become a little bit more expanded and larger. And Judy was able to say, yes, I can do this. And so um, that's why it, it, I think it started at 10 or 12 artists and now it's 29. Um, because we really wanted to make a difference in this alley. And you know, Church Street Alley is, is very, like I said, very much used. The neighbors are so excited. The businesses are so excited to have this here. They're hoping to put lights in the alley to make it even more safe and hope that everyone owns it, owns it, keeps it clean or events. Like we're having this Saturday, there is an event through the bid that they're gonna have a block party back here. And the artists are gonna be continuing to create their work so people can see the process and respect what they do. And all of the neighborhood businesses are gonna be involved. Thanks so much for your energy and your time and your creativity. You're so very welcome. Very welcome. Hi. 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 What do you? You're. Are you an artist? I am. Great. And you're here painting a mural. I'm painting a mural, and I'm very proud and happy to be part of this project. What's your name? My name is Benj. B E N J. And where are you from? Are you local? Or I you? live in Saratoga Springs. Oh, that's pretty local. Yeah, localish. Wow, you're just starting this. This what is it? It's an the whole wall is yours? No, I just have this section here. Basically, um, it's uh, I don't know the exact dimensions, but probably about 15 feet wide or so. Wonderful! It's so bright. Yeah, yeah. It's really pretty so far. Thank you. Nothing's really there other than some paint. So what's yeah. going to be? Well, I paint these weird little characters and stuff, and they're kind of. Um, influenced by urban environments so i think they're going to fit in kind of nicely they're sort of happy and fun and playful uh, little characters very geometric oh so. wow great yeah. so is this you do murals often um no i've done a handful but um it's not really my main thing i like to do them um but no it's not my main thing i do so are you an, you're an artist uh, i am an artist um my day job is i i teach graphic design at rpi uh, but yeah, I'm an, I'm an artist on the side as well. Yep. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, I'm bet. looking forward to seeing this. So where are we? We're off of... We're off Congress Street. Off Congress. Yeah, okay. right off Congress between, uh, I think between 3rd and 4th. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll look for you here, Andrea, and uh, it was great to meet you. Great to meet you. Thanks so much. Oh my gosh, this is huge. You're doing this whole wall. Is this all yours? It is, yeah. I'm almost done. I just need to write this one thing. Oh, I'll let you finish. It's amazing. It's like a patchwork. No, that isn't the correct word. What would I call it? Yeah, you're right. It's, uh, it's actually uh, the Dominican flag um, abstracted. Um, okay. Are you Dominican? I'm not, but the owner is. I'm from Argentina. Sorry, I'm just... I'll let you go. I'll be back. Just give me your name real fast. Ramiro Devaro. Thanks, Ramiro. Keep going. Good luck. Thank you. It's wonderful. This has been Andrea Kamla for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, capturing the art on the streets 
and in the alleys of Troy, New York. Andrea recorded that just as the walls were going up, and congratulations to the Art Center of the Capital Region for being, for Troy Art Block being named the number one best new festival by USA Today. And we end tonight's show with Tyene Asili's interview with the incredible Toshi Reagan about part of this, as part of the series, The Rhythm of Rebellion. Welcome to another episode of The Rhythm of Rebellion. I'm your host, Taina Sili, and today we have the privilege of diving into the boundless world of music and activism with the ever-brilliant visionary, Toshi Regan. Toshi's extraordinary journey through the world of music has not only left an indelible mark on the sonic landscape, but has also become a force for unity and change. She's a singer, composer, and musician, and master of genres that span from folk to funk, blues to rock, and beyond. She's also a curator, producer, and mentor. Toshi's unique ability to move seamlessly between musical genres and create melodies that carry the essence of human experiences has earned her a distinguished place among musicians and activists. Her expansive career has led her to iconic venues like Carnegie Hall, the Paris Opera House, and Madison Square Garden. But you'll just as easily find her gracing the stages of music festivals, intimate venues, and local clubs. Hi, Toshi. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Diana. How are you? I am so blessed. It has been such a dream to have you on the show. Um, how did you find your unique voice? I mean, I think I always had it. I don't remember a time where I was like, and now you have your voice. I just had it. Um, a lot of times parents ask me, you know, how do I get my kid? How do I get my kid? But you have kids. So, you know, they come out mm-hmm. being who they are. And I'm mm-hmm. like, don't mess them up. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> you know, like, yes. don't mess them up. Like, they, you know, they yes. need guidance and they need, you know, they need to know where they are. But I think um, really particularly my mom was just astonished by me. Like, she just, she tells me stories about different things I did when I was really little. Like, she told me that she would use a wrap to wrap Mm -hmm. me around when I was a baby. And then I would lean back as far as I could and look at the, look at what's up. And she's like, yeah, you really hurt my side, but I felt like you really needed to look at the sky. Mm -hmm. I just never knew why, you know, I still am like, you know, I have a kite in my car and I still like, (laughs) you know, there'll be pictures I post that, that are just the color of the sky. I just happen to look at, I'm still like that. Um, I can't remember too many times when my mom told me okay. to shut up. Yeah. Like in a way that that would yeah. be devastating to me. I can't, I just like literally can't remember. I'm sure she did, right? Because I'm sure she did. She didn't play, but mm-hmm. I don't remember it, which means whatever way she was communicating for me to be quiet was a way that she was saying, you need to be quiet in this moment versus your voice mm-hmm. does not need to mm-hmm. be heard. I think I would use the words like grow or get, you know, start to get mm. good at something. You know, I remember when I started to get good at recording or I started to get good at, you know, being able to record all of the tracks of a song with all the mm. instruments I know how to play. Um, I get good at being a band leader, getting yeah. better at those things, get, learning the craft of different things, um, learning the craft of booking, learning the craft of presenting and producing um 
those are the things I, I reach for and really intentionally feel like I, I was yes. like, okay, I want to get good at this. Getting a chance to witness it. Thank you. What advice might you have as a mentor, as an educator for other emerging artists who are seeking to use mm. their art to address these issues? If you have an idea that you want to put forward to do it, not to think like any any way that you do it is is like a wrong way. Like if it's small and intimate, it's it's good. If it happens to take like a bunch of jumps and next thing you know, you're doing your work in these different ways. You know your line of integrity around your heart and around your, you know, life path. When people come into the world as young little babies and then they grow they see things different from the generations ahead of them. And, you know, as you live, I think you're always grounded in kind of your first snapshots, you know, like with the, the first things that you, um, you know, I'm always grounded by the idea of like these. Now, what I now understand is young people kind of making the transition from their being on the front line streets of a civil rights movement and figuring out like, how to take care of their families and all these women who went to school like my mom did. I'm so grounded by the, the culture of those communities. I saw so many beginnings of things, you know, just being a queer person. I'm really grounded in like, you know, lesbian separatism in some ways, which is not the same as talking about some of the ways that people identify, you know, lesbians who have not been supportive of our relatives in the trans and non-binary um, communities is not mm -hmm. the same. But I really was like yeah. seeing it was outrageous. It was just outrageous. You know, they were like, we're going to do a show and no men can come. And it was outrageous to a community mm -hmm. of people who didn't make space for women at all, at women mm -hmm. or children at all. Mm. differently able people at all like mm. so once they started getting like mm. these tiny places of being told no it was really interesting so I think when you have those snapshots that like really kind of give you identifying things then it really like opens up over the course of your life why it's important to like have generations that are meeting the moment in the time of of their youth to tell you what they're seeing and give voice to them because they they see something different from you and it's really helpful really really helpful so i just am aware i'm supposed to be available i try to have iterations of 10 years people younger than me that i'm available for like some of them are like will you mentor me will you do this for me and then some of them i just tell me what to do, you know, for them. Right. It's so important, it so important. important. And I'll say one more thing, you know, I think one of the things that's the most heartbreaking around, you know, in particular, the war on Gaza and the war on the Palestinian people is the inability for people to see themselves in these situations. And I think that's what war war does is it makes you not be able to see yourself 
so that you can just constantly be like somebody else's deserving of the atrocities. It's an unnatural state of being. And I think it will only lead to more destruction of everybody. And I really hope that we can stop saying okay to things that we would never want to happen to us. We, with all of our strength and creativity and transformational powers, um, transform our governments into thinking that it is ever okay for them to spend the currencies that we have all created together on the demise of a, of a people and on the demise of the planet. Right. You know, one of the things I think about in terms of the, the magic that is music is addressing that specific piece around not being able to feel you know, our emotions oftentimes get churned off. And there's like, in my opinion, there's a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, Some are survival mechanisms. Art for me is my way of allowing myself to open and an offering for others to open. You know, we can't take those actions unless we feel, we feel the urgency. That's right. So do you feel like music helps to do that for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, music is helps me do everything. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, I ain't done nothing but been a musician my entire yes. life. I'm really grateful. I just, I'm so grateful. I can't even tell you. It really helps me. I, I have very few answers to the state of the world right now, the bad parts. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I'm a little stunned, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest. The cycle we're in, without some really abrupt determination to to stop it activity is like a cycle that will last into the 30s. Right. I think we're like moseying along and you know with it, you know, but at some point we have to do like the most daring things. Mm-hmm. I think that that is I'm I'm just astonished so whatever I'm doing I'm going to be singing at the same time. Listen to the full episode of this podcast at therhythmofrebellion.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Moses Nagel for editing this series to fit our program format. And you can hear more interviews by Taina Seeley on our website. And that is our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Sina Bazila Hickey. And there's so many volunteers who made today's episode possible. We want to thank Moses Nagel, Mark Dunley, Andrea Cunliffe, Marsha Lazarus, and Taina Seeley. This program covers stories of uh, social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and is supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. Thanks to all of our listeners. We appreciate you and we will hear you in the next show.